for me, it was nice to have like me not reach a goal. Like if this wasn't a failure, you know, even though like we think it is, but like I think it was good for me to just experience like having this really long-term goal that I was so determined to make um, not happen. That was Karen Wang, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 87. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. On this show, my guests and I are committed to one thing and one thing only, telling the truth about our lives. No one's trying to sell you anything. I promise that no one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life by offering a 10-day, six-step life hack plan for anything. I'm so over that, and I bet you are too. Life is complicated and messy and painful and beautiful, and we deserve more than a bunch of life hacking tips. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and many others, and we dive deep into topics like work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, courage, change, and everything in between that makes up life. This is an adult podcast covering adult subjects, which means that you can often expect to hear adult language, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way. With this mission in mind, you also won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. The show is 100% listener-funded, which means that we have complete freedom from corporate or outside influence. Awesome, right? Instead, these honest conversations are made possible by people like you, who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. If you're already supporting the show, thank you, thank you so much. And if you haven't joined our support squad yet, here's where I invite you in and ask for your help. I believe that where we spend our money is a real-time vote for the kind of world we want to live in. And when you help fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. You're voting to hear more stories from a truly diverse group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. When you support this show, you are saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off-limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. As a big thank you, you'll get access to over 30 hours of bonus content with new fun stuff added every month, as well as our community discussion page, our virtual book club, my weekly behind the scenes email series where I talk about my real life in real time and more. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Your support means everything to me. It truly does. And it's what will allow me to continue making new episodes for you as we join together to build a kinder, more open, and more truth-filled world. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Karen Wang. Karen is a photographer and outdoor adventure lover whose work has been highlighted by REI, Outside Online, The Trek, and more. She grew up in Texas and never really experienced much as a kid, so after college, she decided to pack everything she owned into a car and drive up to Seattle to start a new chapter of life, even though she had no job, no friends, and no direction. Little did she know, that move would be something that would change her life forever. 
Karen discovered the outdoors only three years ago and fell in love immediately. She loved the wilderness so much that she decided to thru-hike the Pacific Crest Trail in 2016, but only made it 1,818 miles due to injury. She's currently pursuing mountaineering in Washington State and plans to finish thru-hiking the PCT this summer. In this episode, Karen and I talk about fear, specifically the fears associated with being a beginner in the outdoors, which is an experience that she and I definitely share. She talks all about her PCT hike in 2016, including the heartbreaking story of needing to end her trek early due to injury. And she also shares about the fears she's been conquering lately in order to make her dream of mountaineering and glacier travel a reality. It was such a treat to talk to another woman who's also relatively new to hiking and outdoor adventure. And if you're looking to push yourself out of your comfort zone in any way, I bet you'll love hearing from Karen as much as I did. All of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at nicoleantoinette.com slash podcast. All right, we are good to go. Karen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. It's always funny. My mom's name is Karen, but she spells it with a C. And anytime I talk to another Karen, it's like disorienting for a moment. I'm like, wait, oh. but that's my mom. <laughs> hey, mom. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, mom. Um, so drop me into your real life. How did you spend the first hour of your day today? Oh, um, this morning. Well, I actually woke up at like 445. <laughs> um, um, I, I've been taking this boot camp class on Thursday mornings, but I haven't been, um, in the past month cause I've been climbing so much. And so I just kind of dropped my gym membership, but because I want to get my money's worth, I went up, um, went to the gym this morning and I did the class, but it was like so hot, I guess cause it's summer now and I haven't been exercising indoors at all. And, um, it was great cause I love my teacher, but it's just so hot in that room. And when I'm like overheated inside, I just can't, I don't perform as well, or I just like, am so tired, you know? And so that was basically my first hour of my day. (laughs) I, man, it's been so long since I had kind of like a group exercise class experience, Uh but if you find like the right teacher in the right situation, it can be really fun. Mm -hmm. She like used to do CrossFit or something. And so she like, pushes you, but not like, I'm not super competitive, like at all. So I'm just like, Oh, I'll do it. But I don't like challenge myself, but <laughs> it's fun. Cause I know it's like work, hard work basically. And I sweat a ton. Um, but it's fun. <laughs> That's interesting that you say that you're not competitive. Have you always been that way? Like never felt competitive? I think so. I more like, I feel like I'm definitely not competitive with others. I know that like, say if you're in you know, a class with all the same workout and like, you know, some people like look at the next person like, Oh, can I go faster than them? But that's definitely not me. (laughs) I like, don't care if I'm the last person in the class or, you know, the slowest or whatever. And so I think for myself though, it's like, okay, maybe next week can I lift heavier or next week can I beat my time um, a little better? But in the end, like I usually don't really care that much. (laughs) I honestly admire that. I think that's a great quality. I am really competitive and like it almost comes out of nowhere. Like I don't, (laughs) but it's the problem. The downside of being competitive for me is that I don't like things that I'm not good at. And Mm -hmm. 
therefore I'm less likely to try new things, right? Like it's kind of this like bad negative feedback loop of I'm super competitive and I want to be good at things. The only way you get good at things is by trying the things and then doing the things, but I don't want to not be good. It's like this whole, I don't know. So I'm always fascinated when I hear people that like, I don't mm-hmm. even uh, like, even like board games or thing where I'm like, well, I want to be good at this. I want to be good at all. It's funny. <laughs> it's like not great. <laughs> it's funny. Um, what's something that only your good friends know about you or maybe that like people who only know you through social media would be surprised to learn (laughs) Uh, one thing is actually really funny but nobody calls me Karen (laughs) none of my real friends do and so um they all call me Wang it's my last name (laughs) um and basically yeah it's really funny because everybody knew that I meet or like through online or whatever they all call me Karen which is my first name but ever since, you know, I've been in high school, um, people have been calling me by my last name or I have like a million nicknames. And um, it's just funny because, <laughs> I mean, I respond to Karen now and stuff. But yeah, none of my close real life friends <laughs> call me Karen. <laughs> that's funny. What about your family? Um, oh, I guess that's, yeah, they call me Karen. <laughs> but I guess because we all have the same last name. But, right, that, yeah, that's they, less effective, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, most of all my closest best friends I'll call me Wang um or Wangy or Wangers just everything (laughs) every variation of that that's funny Mm -hmm. Um, so you are one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram let me just say that um and you said something the other day that I thought would be a good place to start you said something that really struck a chord with me that I can really relate to it was part of like a longer comment but you said it was essentially like posing a question to yourself and you asked, why am I so scared of everything in life? Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to talk to me more about that. Like, what, what do you mean when you say that? Um, gosh, I, I actually read this article uh, from Outside Magazine on how to raise your girls to be braver. And I felt like that struck a chord to me too, which made me think about, why I'm so scared of everything. And so I think people think I'm this like really brave, like risky person or whatever, but I'm totally not. Um, like I think, so my mom, um, she's a single mom. And so she was just never really around when we were growing up. So it's just me and my sister and, um, yeah, she's just never around. And so basically, you know, I made my own decisions. She never really like encouraged me to do things or I've never tried like sports I never I've, I basically never done did anything um and so I've always just grown up being scared of things I never you know climbed trees I never got dirty or like played I don't know I just didn't do things that normal kids do and um I've always just been really scared of everything because I've never tried it I feel like um I think I I tell myself like the riskiest thing I used to do when I was a kid was I used to play with caterpillars (laughs) and I used to let caterpillars crawl on my legs. And now I think back, I'm like, that's so gross. I would never do that (laughs) because I hate bugs. (laughs) And so, um, I don't know. It's just so strange. And honestly, like until I was an adult and I'm 30 now, but like I only started doing quote unquote, like, riskier things maybe three or four years ago when I started pursuing outdoor stuff and so um yeah I'm just so scared of trying new things and especially like physical things because I'm not like super athletic or like fit and like not this 
you know, marathon person. And usually I feel like when you have like this really great skill set of whatever like sport it is, like you're really confident in the next thing that you try, I feel like. And because I never had like a thing, everything's just been so scary to jump into and try. And, but like the more I do it and do expand, um, my skill set, I feel like it does help me be more confident and, um, it's just something like, you know, how I was raised and, you know, I, I never, I never hurt myself as a kid. I never like, I've never broken a bone, you know, until my injury. <laughs> and so I was just always a safe child and like, um, just never did stuff. <laughs> and so that's why I'm like old now and scared, still scared of everything. <laughs> So that's like exactly my whole life that you just really? described. I mean, oh. mo- I mean, a lot of it. Yeah, that I, I also, I mean, I never did sports or anything even remotely athletic growing up. Like I was an indoor kid for sure. Like let me like mm-hmm. read books in the corner oh, yeah. and like not right. And I, yeah, never climbed. Tra- I mean, I, I grew up mostly in Manhattan and in London. Like I've only ever lived in really big cities, so there wasn't even that sort of like play in the dirt culture, really. Like that right. didn't really happen. That wasn't something that my parents ever really valued. Like that. I mean, I don't think they've ever spent any time in nature ever. Right. Like, so it was just not, mm-hmm. yeah, doing those kinds of things, which just wasn't valued. And anyway, so like, I can definitely relate to, you know, every, everything that you just said, but so I'm curious, what are you afraid of? Like, what's the fear based in? Like, what are you afraid that's going to happen? Like, is it, you're afraid you're not going to be good at it you're afraid you're gonna get hurt you're gonna look stupid like what are the this idea of like being scared of everything in life like what are the fears Mm, hmm, that's a really great question I'm trying to think on like how I've been so scared but I think I think the afraid of getting hurt is definitely a big one um I like and I know like I probably won't but it's like it's a whole mind game basically and um, especially with the climbing thing. Um, I just feel like, I feel like I'm going to, I hate the act of like slipping or the act of honestly, the act of like falling and scraping a knee. Like, I just don't like that, you know? And, um, I don't like falling. I think that's what it is. Even though it's like not serious injury or anything. I just, I don't know. I don't want to break a bone and I don't want to scrape myself um, I don't know why I just, I think that's what it is. And, uh, I don't n- think it's a, a fear of failure thing. I think it's the whole getting hurt thing. Yeah. Like a fear of pain or of something bad happening. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Pain or like something bad that will like, I, I it won't let me do the next thing that I want to do, I guess. Yeah. Is my thing. Yeah. You, so when you were talking before, you mentioned, you know, n- the not having done sports versus mm-hmm. like someone who maybe does have that experience has more of like sort of what I think of as like just body confidence, right? Like confident oh, yeah. in their own physical ability. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is for me, I mean, when we're talking specifically about like outdoor stuff, like definitely I'm like afraid I'm going to die all the time. So like what you just said is definitely relevant, <laughs> but it's for me, it's more, I think a fear of my own inability, right? That it's like not having Mm. that body confidence of like, if you, I don't know, grow up like, yeah, being dirty, scrambling around, like getting yourself through to things, getting scrapes, being fine. Like without that, it's kind of like, I don't know, there's like a lack of just sort of like confidence in your own self that you can do the thing that is hard. That's for me, that's where more of the fear comes from. 
Mm, that's actually a really good point. I would agree with that. So this, you mentioned climbing, right? Uh-huh. Tell me the story of how you, because I know this is a new thing for you. How did you, mm-hmm. kind of how and why did you decide to to try this? Okay, so ever since I moved up to the Northwest, you know, well, I guess not ever since, but ever since I started getting into hiking and like outdoor stuff, which is probably only like three or four years ago, um, it's been ba- little baby steps, but there's just always been this like dream of mine to like climb Rainier basically because you see it all the time and it's this amazing beautiful mountain that we see in Seattle only on clear days um but it's so pretty when you're like driving up to Mount Rainier National Park and you just see this amazing glacier and everybody just like dreams of climbing it someday I feel like and so mountaineering is this really like I guess far goal that I've had in my mind for a while and I don't and it's like this thing that it seems so huge and it's like would I ever be able to do that like I don't know but I like want to but I don't know how to get there really because it seems so like technical and there's so much risk and um there's just so much that goes into it you can't just like put on some tennis shoes and walk up you know <laughs> it's not like that and so um I told myself like after you know the PCT this year like mountaineering is something I want to pursue. Um, I just didn't really know how except go through, like, I don't really want to learn stuff through friends or whatever. I want to learn it through a class and I want it to learn it correctly and safely basically. And so I finally like decided, okay, this is the year that I'm going to pursue that. But a lot of our um, organizations here are, are, we only have like three and they're super competitive as in like, a lot of people apply and only a few get in just because it's like they just can't accept that many students, you know. And so I finally applied for this one. It's called the Washington Alpine Club. And I applied for it last December. But like I had no confidence going in because like I was still recovering from injury. It's only been like four months, I think. And um, part of their application process is they make you – time yourself, um, on this hike, um, with 30 pounds and like your time is basically your fitness assessment. And I was like, well, there's no way I can do this and over push myself because my ankle still is kind of broken. Um, and so I just like went into it, like, I'm going to apply, you know, I'll, I'll tell them whatever time I get, you know, but I'm not banking on it whatsoever. And so I end up just doing that. And then I had found out, so I got like, um, I was interviewed. So they do an interview process, which is really, I feel like it's such a good way to like, you know, kind of filter through the people who's all applying. And so I did get my interview and then I found out that I was waitlisted, which I was like, Oh, that's cool. No worries. You know, this just might not be the year. Cause I was so out of shape basically. And, um, I was just learning how to like run again and get back, um, on my feet. And so I just, my like fitness ability was just really, really low, you know, and I was just like, there's no way. <laughs> and so, um, I was waitlisted. And then I found out like a week or so later that another student dropped out cause they couldn't make it or whatever. And so I was accepted and they were just like, okay, well make a decision, you know, and, and let us know if you want it. And I was like, um, I don't, I'm really unsure. Like just because, 
I was so out of shape and I still am. Um, and I was like, this sounds so intense. And I was like, do I really want to do it? And then I was like, okay, let's just do it. <laughs> um, just because I was like, okay, it's a really great opportunity. They only accept 31 students in this organization. And um, I was just like, I, ha- I feel like I have to do it. Like I have the time right now to do it. And I have a few months to you know, get back in shape and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I end up, um, accepting and like paying my dues, my membership dues and class fees and all that stuff. And, um, little did I know, you know, it was so crazy. It's been such a crazy last like three months, um, going into it. And so that's kind of how I, about why I did the class. It's basic alpine climbing, which I thought it was just going to, well, it's not, my ultimate goal is glacier travel, but I didn't know there was going to be so much rock climbing. Like I knew there was going to be like a little bit or whatever, because it's you need to learn the rock basics in order to move on to glacier stuff. Um, but it was just a lot more than I was expecting. And that was the hardest thing for me um, to do, I think. Yeah. So tell me about your first day of rock climbing. <laughs> so the... <laughs> So I've never like climbed in the gym before, like other people have. I haven't either, and I'm super interested after watching your experience. You should totally so, uh, do it, and I can't believe I'm ah. saying that to you. But like a lot of the students in our class have like climbed in the gym, or they've done a little bit of rock climbing outside, blah blah blah, like anything. And so, like I, you know, I feel like I'm always like comparing myself to our other students because I mean we all have a whole different set of set, skill sets, which is great. But there's only like two two or three of us who have never rock climbed in our life and so because I'm so scared of everything like so the first time I had rock climbed was in class or not in class but during on one of our field trips and it was this um rock down in Tacoma it's called Spire Rock it's like a fake rock but it's real (laughs) I mean it's it's fake but it's real (laughs) um but a lot of the mountaineers people use it as practice and this day was rainy and it was cold and I think it was probably early March or something. And, you know, I, I've never done this thing before and I get roped up and um, I walk up to the rock, walk at, and I just, um, I climb and like, I can't. <laughs> like, I remember like, gosh, feeling like a foot or two off the ground and like, I just couldn't do it. And I didn't know how to rock climb. Like there's, there's different like techniques what you should do with your body and all this stuff. And I just like had no idea. And so, um, it was so hard and I just didn't know what to do. And they kept telling me, you know, like trust, trust your feet or just take a step. And I just could not take steps. It was so scary because we are wearing these like mount huge mountaineering boots and the rock, like each step is like a sliver basically. And I just like, did not trust my feet and climbing is a really awkward body movement for people who have never done it before. Um, and so all of it was just so foreign to me and like, I just didn't get it. And so I was probably on that wall for like, gosh, 30 or 40 minutes. (laughs) You should not be climbing that long. Um, but I, I was like, I just, for some reason I just didn't get down. I, I, I was never let down and I didn't ask to be let down. And so I was up there for like ever. And, um, one of our instructors finally kind of like came around. He's like, why don't you try going around the rock? And so I finally did that. And, um, 
I finally got up kind of, it was not, you know, the most graceful way or anything, but I finally made it up and I was just like, I was so tired. I was thirsty and it was like the hardest thing and scariest thing that I've ever done. And, um, that was like the only time I climbed that day. Cause I was practicing repelling the rest of the day. Cause I was terrified of repelling too. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was my first climbing experience. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in, sort of the emotional side of being a total Mm -hmm. beginner at something, right? Because I think, I mean, Mm -hmm. of course it's physically hard too, right? You said like it's, especially if you're uh, not in the fitness that you want to be, or if it's like an awkward new body movement or there's like actual physical skills to learn, like, sure, like that's one thing. But I feel like the emotional side of things is where it gets, I don't know, like the stickiest. So what was, like, I can imagine if that was me, like I would just be crying and like, yeah, I'm never going to do this again. You know, like Mm -hmm. I go down that spiral like what was your sort of emotional landscape like in you know after that experience or you know leading into then going like a second time and a third time um yeah totally um for I think for me like they kept telling me climbing is a mind game and all that stuff and I just like I just didn't get it because I felt like all of it was physical I just like couldn't get my body to get up the damn wall basically and um the second time I rock. So we did like a midweek rock climb and I did that and we were supposed to actually practice repelling, but I couldn't even get up the wall that like we, I didn't even practice repelling. And so the second time I did it just as scary, um, I, I basically just kept freezing on the wall and I couldn't get up. And, um, that was probably like the hardest, I think, climb in my memory. But, um, I was basically stuck on the wall until nighttime (laughs) and one of our instructors, you know, was up there belaying me and like, it was, for me, it was so emotional and like, I was so scared and I just like, like I see the guy, you know, he's like, gosh, like four foot above me and like, I couldn't get up. Like he sees me and like, I'm almost there and I just couldn't get up. And, um, I finally like he stayed with me until, you know, I finally got up and it was, it was like, I wanted to cry. I don't know if I did. I think I kind of cried a little bit. Um, but just having like our instructors there and staying with me through it was so encouraging. And I think for me, like the encouragement, encouragement from all our instructors and our students have been like, I feel like the bulk of why I'm still in the class because they've been so supportive and encouraging because like everybody knows how scared I am in the class. And, um, they're always like, you got this, you got this. You're like, thanks you guys. Not really, but whatever that helps anyways, you know? And so, um, I think like having the encouragement from the people really helped. And, um, I just, honestly, I didn't get better. The mental part didn't kick in until like six weeks. in, (laughs) And so we had this, so we basically rock climb almost every weekend on our field trips. And there was this one rock climb that we did out in Vantage. So it's Eastern Washington and it's supposed to be, it's like nice, it's dry, you know, it's sunny. We could, we don't have to climb in our mountaineering boots. And, um, I couldn't even do that. I don't know what was wrong. And one of my instructors, um, I just kept freezing on the wall basically. And like for Alpine rock climbing, you like cannot be freezing on the wall because it's dangerous. It's like a safety issue. And cause you only have a certain amount of, you know, 
time to get up and down. And, be, and if the weather's bad, you just can't freeze. And so my instructor was like, if you don't get better or climb more smoothly, um, you can't go on this, you can't do this climb. And that that's when it finally like hit me. And he's like, I don't know what's going on up here pointing to like my head, but like, I know you can do it physically, but if there's something going on in your head and I was just like, okay, I think you're right. I don't know what's going on. Like physically climbing is just your legs, you know, and everybody thinks it's like, you know, your arms or whatever, but because I have so much anxiety and stress on the wall, I end up climbing with my arms and they fatigue and that's when I get really tired and I just can't make it up. And so after he told me that it was basically like a huge mind shift for me. And, um, I was like, I don't want to be the only student like sitting out because I can't do it. You know, I was like, I know it's mental. Like, I don't know why I still can't get it. Like, I don't know. But I, that's when I finally told myself, like, I'm going to join the gym and practice like three times a week until I get comfortable with my feet. So I knew my problem, which was trusting my feet. And I knew that's what I was needed to work. On. I don't think I'm afraid of heights or exposure. Like I don't, I just like, you know what your weakness is and where you need to improve. And so because of that, I basically forced myself to go to the gym like three times a week. And I did the auto ballet and I practiced just going up and down and up and down um, until I finally trusted my feet more and, um, I do this thing where I take a step if I'm, you know, if I'm sure I'll like, I'll just stop. I won't even take the step because I'm so afraid of slipping, even though you're like top roped, you're not going to go anywhere. It's true. But I, I think the act of like slipping just scares me to death for some reason. The feeling sucks. It's like, ugh. and so, um, I, yeah, I just basically did that and I finally got better and then I started climbing at the gym with my boots <laughs> because boots climbing and regular shoes is not the same. And so I don't know, I just kept at it for so long and I was like, I think I am comfortable now. And I finally um, got that mental thing to click in my head and I wasn't scared anymore. And I started thinking the gym was kind of fun and, but honestly, like nothing is like the outdoors. Like the gym is a great place to practice um but it's definitely nothing like real rock that's for sure yeah sure uh, I yeah I love that story because I think that it's there's something that's really powerful in sort of the the way that you broke it down for yourself like I think that when we're afraid or we're feeling insecure it's so easy that can be such an overwhelming feeling, right? That like the feeling itself is paralysis. And then like the easy answer is like, this is just not for me. Like this whole thing is just not for me as opposed to being like, okay, mm -hmm. this is clearly a mental thing. What is the fear? Like for me, the fear is like the heights and exposure and like the uh, death and the whatever, <laughs> like that, that, that would be the scary thing for me. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I've never done it, but this idea of being able to say, okay, the fear is coming from the fact that it's like, I don't trust my feet or like that being able to like sit with yourself and kind of boil it down to what is the root of the fear? Cause there's always a root of a fear, right? And then what's the action step that I can take to like, 
practice that thing or get better at that thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's really easy to just assume that fears are overwhelmingly paralyzing and that we can't move past them or that moving past them takes this, like, I just have to be more courageous or I just have to like believe or no, like work on the thing, right? Like isolate the thing and like get better at the thing and like practice does work, right? So it's, I don't know, there's something like very real about that. Like, I love that you're not just like, and then I, you know, like this inspirational quote and I just believed in myself and I just did it. Like, because that kind of stuff for me it doesn't work and so I always find myself frustrated like what's wrong with you that you can't just think more positively <laughs> you know and like lots of people will be like just do it I'm like it's not it's not just like that <laughs> right I'm like, stuck on this wall for I'm 40 sorry, minutes like, like just doing it is I not working I just can't do it and for me like I learn in baby steps and I'm not like I have to go slow like and I have to take baby steps and I that's the only way in repetitive you know stuff that's the only way like I'll get ever get better at something if I take small sets. But because this class goes so like quick, I guess it's every week I have to show improvement or I'm like falling behind. And which is interesting about the class too. Like I, I was nervous about it because I thought like learning all the ropes and the knots and the technical stuff was going to be the hardest for me. But little did I know, like that was the easiest and I learned everything in like two days. And then I had no clue the the fear and the the whole physical all that stuff mental game was going to be the hardest for me. I had no idea. Like if I would have known, I wouldn't have taken the class. But I'm so glad I did. You know. But I had I thought climbing was just like moving up the wall. I had no clue it was like the scary mental foot thing. It was so crazy <laughs> to know that. And so I think like until you do it, you don't know what's going to be the challenge for you. And so all of it was just like surprising to me. Um, so that was really interesting. <laughs> so does the class build towards something that you're all going to do together? Yes. So ultimately a lot of us wants to do glacier travel and that kind of stuff. And so I just finished my la- my last rock climb this past weekend. Um, I actually made it up so it's everything I've been practicing for and I made it up the wall <laughs> um, and I'm so happy, but it was like the most hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm not even kidding. I was like, so sweat, like it's, so it's a four pitch Alpine rock and thankfully we had really great weather. Um, but I was just like, by the first pitch, I was just like sweating profusely. It's the first time I ever climbed with a pack. And so, you know, when you're climbing up the wall, you feel like you're going to like fall backwards because the pack is heavy. And I got pinned in like several rocks because my stupid backpack was in the way (laughs) and everything was just so difficult. Um, And I ended up climbing a ton with my knees. And so my knees are all banged up and super bruised right now. Um, But I just wanted to get up. And like, I was like, I have to do this because I worked so hard, you know, the past whole month of trying to get better, like, I can't not do it. And so I'm so happy I did it. But I'm also glad like it's over. (laughs) And so it's our last rock climb. And then in two weeks, we have our graduation climb as a class, and we're going to climb Mount Baker. Um, It's the most most north mountain in Washington or volcano in Washington um so it's a little bit south of like Canada (laughs) and um has a ton of snow on it and it's just a great like beginner first glacier climb I feel like and I'm super stoked and I'm not scared at all um something about crevasses and snow and ice doesn't scare me as much as a vertical wall and I don't know why (laughs) 
<laughs> but I don't know. I feel like because I'm on my feet, like it's not this vertical thing. It's not as scary, but glacier travel is more dangerous because you know, you're not roped up the entire time. You know, you're not, nothing's going to catch you. Like you have to catch yourself if you slip or fall. And so that's why it is more dangerous, but I feel like I have more control. Maybe I have no idea, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's in two weeks and we'll see what I think then. Um, but we're doing another, we're doing a practice field trip this weekend on Nisqually Glacier. And that's where we're going to practice like crevasse rescue and how to walk in our crampons and all that stuff. And I've loved all the snow stuff that we've been doing though. Like all of our snow field trips have been really awesome. And I just, they're, they're pretty hard too, but there's not this like weird mental, like fear thing going on. I don't know why. It's interesting. I'm more, it is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I've been, I've been looking at, um, obviously, like all of your snow pictures, right? And the things, you know, with the ice axe and all of a sudden, like, I've no, I mean, could not have less experience with that kind of stuff, but I'm very mm-hmm. interested in it. So tell me about some of the, like the specific skills that you've learned or through this process. Um, even with rock climbing stuff or even just, I don't know, just in general, like what have you had to learn that you didn't know anything at, you know, at all? So much. (laughs) Um, I think like just, you know, I've always been like a hiker and so I only know what to do with like my feet basically. And I haven't had to use tools or just any additional things, but I think taking the class has, um, just opened my whole like skill set with like technical stuff and I don't know how confident I am in it yet obviously because we're just all beginners but like just knowing how to strap on a harness knowing how to check your knots knowing like which knots you need how to repel um all that stuff has been so awesome just like knowing it now and especially um I use knowing how to use an ice axe like we carried an ice axe for 300 miles in the Sierras and had no idea how to use it I was like why are we even carrying it like we think, oh, we're supposed to use it as a cane to walk true, you know, but like, do you know how to like, how to hold it right? Or how to like stick it into the snow to use it as your belay device. And so um, just all that stuff I've, it's been so good to know. Like, I think I wanted to also be more comfortable in snow travel. And um, I feel like just knowing how to use your ice axe is a huge plus And I think if I were to do the Sierras again, um, it would be so much more different. Like I would be so much more confident in my footsteps and using my ax. Cause I only pulled that thing out like three times. Um, and self arrest is really difficult. That's for sure. Um, but I feel like with how much practice we've done, it's, I've, I've gotten a little bit more confident in it. And, um, I think, yeah, just, all, all, all things, little things, the technical stuff that have, has always been so intimidating to me. Now I, I like look at somebody's harness and like, I'm like, I know exactly what those ropes are for. Um, and all of it's for like safety basically. <laughs> and it's like, it's good to have that. And we learn about like backup stuff too. Like in case this fails, you have this knowledge, you know, and um, it's really cool. And I would definitely recommend anybody who wants to, um, climb higher, you know, more technical routes to just pursue that. Cause it's such a great knowledge to have. And, um, I had no clue before that. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot lately. I mean, so 
for me doing the Oregon section of the PCT last year, I mean, that was the first time that I had ever done anything even remotely like that. Like I could not have been more of a beginner. Like the first time that I ever went backpacking was like a two night test trip, like a couple weeks before I left for that. Like it was just like, I was such a beginner that like everything was so new and so scary. And like, I did research and stuff obviously. And, you know, talk to more experienced hikers. It wasn't just like, okay, day one, like I have no idea about anything, but it was like when everything's so unfamiliar, it's like hard to even know what to learn. And I've been thinking sort of like in the aftermath of that, that like confidence comes from in like a combination of experience, but and knowledge and like what you're describing about actually just like learning more things. It sounds really silly probably for me to say this, but like that's something that I've been thinking about, like, okay, all of my, you know, fears about the outdoors or about, you know, whatever, traveling solo, nature stuff, whatever, that it's what am I saying that like, I'm trying to identify what are some specific skills that if I were mm-hmm. to learn them or like, you know, what do I want more knowledge about that? Cause that is, right. like, you know, they say knowledge is power, right? Like that is empowering being able to be like, okay, I know what to do in this situation or I know what mm-hmm. to do in that situation. And so I'm able now to start to break it down and be like, okay, here's all the things that I want to know more about. And so exactly what you're saying about properly learning how to use an ice axe for snow travel and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah, these are skills, the same way of like breaking down the fear into, I need to practice like trusting my feet. It's the same thing. You can break down like larger fears into what are the skills that if I were to learn this, I would therefore be less afraid. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. And like, obviously the more you do it, the less afraid you are. And I think you get to the point where you're like, I'm really confident in blank. Like, how do I want to expand my knowledge and challenge myself in other ways? And knowing that you can do it, whatever it is. And I think like for you, like also like, um, just like never hiking before and doing it. And like, the more you do it, obviously the more comfortable you're with it. And you're, that's why you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to try Washington now. And so little, you know, you're going to just do the next big thing, <laughs> but it just, I don't know. It's so nice to expand your, you know, skill set and, we all start out, you know, baby steps. Like we all started out just walking like a really easy trail, you know, whatever. And so it's just, it's cool to see what you're capable of and you don't even know it at that time, you know? So it's really cool. Absolutely. I've also been thinking about how education is so baked into the structure of, you know, most of our early lives. But then like you reach a point if you're out of, let's say, formal education, right? That like these types of things, you're not just going to all of a sudden like come across, here's how to use an ice axe, for example, or whatever, like that, that it's like the personal responsibility of seeking out you know, a a broader skill base. And like, that's Mm -hmm. something I've been thinking of too. Like, it's really easy for me to sort of be lazy and complacent and, you know, stay in what's comfortable and safe. And like these kinds of things, you're not just going to like learn them randomly by accident that there is, you have to make a choice to be like, I'm going to choose for you, you know, to apply for this class, this club, like, and that it's, there's something to, I'm trying to push myself to, okay, like what skills do you want to learn? And then go sign up for something. This is not just going to happen by like osmosis, right? Like you have to actually seek out someone to teach you. Yeah. And we cannot stay in our comfort zone forever. Like you're going to get bored and you're not going to grow. That's why I firmly believe in stepping outside of your comfort zone, even though it's like something small, it doesn't have to be like, I want to do this long hike. It's, it could be anything like I've never done cooking before. I'm going to take a cooking class, you know, I'm going to start making all my dinners, you know, and I just like, I don't, it can be anything that is foreign to you and it's all relative, you know, 
somebody's fear about this is so different. And so I, it's just really cool to see what, um, how much you learn when you do do that. And those are the memories that you will remember the most, you know, forever. So it's really cool. I think to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that obviously you didn't grow up, right? Like in the back country, this was not sort of oh, no. your thing. <laughs> Who were you raised to be, if not this? Because it sounds like you diverged oh. somehow. Mm. <laughs> well, my gosh, I don't even, well, so we're, we're Asian. <laughs> and so um, my mom has always been like, I don't think she's ever pushed me to become like, a doctor lawyer thing, but I think she just wants me to be successful and financially stable and have a 401k <laughs> and all that stuff. And so she's, I mean, education's definitely been like big part of, you know, I guess our lives or whatever, but it's just kind of like, Oh yeah, we just go to college. It's like a thing that everybody does. And so, um, I mean, there was nothing more to that, but I, I majored in marketing and business and, um, it was fine. <laughs> it wasn't anything amazing. And, um, it's just like, I don't know. I think my mom just always just, she's always kind of like, like nervous about money. Like, I think it's an Asian culture thing where we want to be like stable and like, have investments and just be financially well off. And that's kind of like your um, depiction of success, I guess. And uh, my mom always worries for me because I don't have like the stable job right now and um, that I'm doing all these quote unquote nature things. <laughs> but like I, we had, we did have a conversation and I told to tell her like, you know, this is what makes me happy. And like, I don't need a giant house and, like a shiny car and all these things like I'd rather spend money on these experiences and these really scary things for some, you know, these scary moments where I feel it's so much more like enriching in my life. And so I think she like obviously doesn't get it, but she's like, whatever, she's really supportive and like, she wants me to do whatever makes me happy. Um, but she, in the back of her mind is always like, can you just get a job yet? <laughs> you know? And so, um, yeah, the out, yeah, I don't, she's never really done much outdoor stuff either growing up. And so for me to do all this stuff, she thinks it's crazy basically. And I, like the other day or time I saw her, she, I was telling her how I got, you know, water out of a stream and I had to like filter it. And she was like, what you had to get water out of the river I was like yeah where else are we gonna get water and it just like blew her mind I was like do you know where we go to the bathroom and she just like couldn't believe it oh, it was just really funny we're we're just way off on the other end and um she, she just thinks I'm crazy I think I think we need to hook your mom up with my mom because it's the same <laughs> she's like what are you doing I don't understand um no so this brings up something else that's interesting that I think is something that isn't talked about enough or as kind of honestly as it could be this idea of 
how individuals, like, so how you make adventure happen in your real life, right? Like it's really easy for someone to just, let's say like, look at your Instagram and assume X, Y, Z things about, oh, well, she must have money from here or this kind of thing. Or, you know, just, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions. So I would love for you to talk about sort of, you know, you mentioned that traditional model of success, not being something that you value. If you could talk about, okay, so, you know, what do your values look like and how do you make this lifestyle happen like on a more practical basis oh i actually just wrote something about that the other day and people think i mean gosh instagram's like not that real anymore you know and everybody curates it i feel like now and we only post about things we want to post about right whether it's like ugly or pretty um and so i don't know where people get the idea that i'm like always adventuring or like traveling because I'm not I I only was traveling for four months last year on foot um but like every weekend I go out because I'm on this field trip you know and so um I I was just telling one of my friends today too and I want my Instagram to be kind of like my diary you know like these are things I'm thinking about and I'm what I'm learning and you know photos to share and stuff and so Honestly, like, I, so the PCT thing was something that I wanted to do for like a year and a half, right? And so I was nannying before that, and I basically just started saving for that year and a half. You know, I would put like $200 every other week into my savings and just start saving for it and stop buying like useless crap that wasn't um like gonna advance me in hiking (laughs) and so unless it was like special like things I needed I just like like that wasn't my priority anymore which is totally fine and I started you know clipping coupons and um just try to save as much money because I knew I was gonna be um unemployed for four months four to five months or whatever and so I think it's people just seem to be more, I guess, wise with their money and finances. Like you can, like, it doesn't matter how poor you are, you can make a way. I I firmly believe that like whatever it is that you want to do or you're saving up for, like you can make it happen. Like whether it's like working extra jobs or working, doing extra anything just to get some extra income. Like I babysat as much as I could, you know, I think I, I think I was still doing a few photography or weddings and stuff um, before that, but it's like kind of making a goal and then finding, making realistic um, steps on how to achieve that. And I totally think it's possible. And that's kind of what I did. I just did a little baby steps and, you know, I bought all my gear and small steps too. And I tried it out for a whole year and if it didn't work, you know, I would just return it or resell it and like, um, started selling furniture, you know, getting rid of my stuff. And, um, that's kind of like what I did. Like people think it's like this big thing, like anybody can do it. And, um, Like, I do feel like if you're in a job that is hard to get out of right now, like, I I don't know if, like, that's the best time or whatever. But, like, for me, it was because, you know, my nanny kids, I've been there for, like, two years, and they were old enough where I didn't feel 
like too bad leaving them. Um, it was still really hard to like leave them because we were me and the family were really invested in each other, but they were so supportive and amazing. And, um, and just something that you have to do. And I do feel like if anybody has like a small desire to do it, like they have to make it happen like someday because, um, when you see that window of opportunity, you have to jump on it. Cause like you may miss out on it and like, we'll get to the point where we get into the cycle of like real life that it's hard to get out of. And, you know, we're going to unfortunately like be too old or whatever, where we're not going to be able to do that anymore or have kids or have a family and, um, just too many commitments, I think too. And it is, it is a hard thing to pick up everything and just go for, you know, half a summer, um, and that's why I do believe like, if you have the opportunity, you should really jump at it and make it happen. Um, but it does like, for me, it was definitely a lot of planning. I know some people like decide to do it in like two months and they're good. But for myself, like I like a, a plan and I like, um, I want to know that I'm going to be able to do it and like have enough money to finance it. Um, and so I wanted like enough cushion and everything. And, um, yeah, I, it was just like pretty much baby steps and figuring out a plan. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, that. I, th- I think that this, I guess this is like sort of an emerging theme from this conversation, the idea of sort of breaking things down into smaller pieces that it's, you know, being able to be real with yourself, like of all the reasons that you tell yourself, you know, that this thing that you want to do isn't possible, right? Like looking at, which of those are excuses, which of them are problems that can be solved with work, which, you know, or, you mm-hmm. know, breaking it down or, I mean, cause I do think obviously like privilege is a real thing, right? Like being able to do this kind of stuff and not everyone mm-hmm. can just pick up oh, and yeah. take off from their life for however many months, but it's being able to separate, like, what are the stories that I'm telling myself about this versus like, what are the real obstacles? And then even within the real obstacles, what would have to be true in order for this to be possible for me, right? Like, what are you willing to sacrifice? Like you said, I mean, saving money for a year and a half like that's that's a long time right and being Mm -hmm. able to sort of reprioritize and say okay these are all the things that I'm not going to spend money on anymore because I've chosen this other thing as a priority like that's for something Mm -hmm. to be a priority other things have to get sacrificed that's what that's how things happen right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. totally so do you remember the day or sort of the time uh, that you decided that you were going to try to hike the PCT like where did that come from oh um, gosh, I think it was like, it's always been like a, not always, but ever since I started hiking, like I remember I, I was doing the snowy hike a few years ago and I had ran across, I was on the PCT and had no idea what it was. It was just this junction I go and I, the arrow pointed to Canada and I was like, wait, 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 like this trail goes to Canada. I had no idea. And, um, my friend I was with, they were like, yeah. And I was just like, huh, okay. That was like, so that was my first like exposure. Um, and then I think the more I got into hiking and the more, um, the more like exposure I got back country and, um, all that stuff, it just made me, I guess, research more about long distance stuff or like the PCT or just hearing more about that and blogs and, you know, reading carrots blogs and, um, it was just this thing. It was kind of like Rainier, right? Like this thing that was, um, like way out of my league. It seemed like it was way out of my league and like, I would never be able to do it. But then like, just like 
what scared me the most was doing it by myself. That's why I was just like, there's no way I could ever do this because it sounds scary and I would never do it by myself. And as soon as I found out, like there's this humongous, like through hiking community on the Facebook. (laughs) Um, And then I realized like everybody starts by themselves. (laughs) It's like a thing. And then as soon as I found that out, because I was in the first, I was like in the beginning, I was like, Oh, I need to find a hiking partner or whatever. And da da da. And um, I found out like, people don't do that. Like you just start alone and then you meet people on the way. And as soon as I found that out, that's when I mentally committed to it and was like, I think I'm going to do it. And I knew I had, um, I I just didn't have any commitments, you know, at that time. And it was just such a good opportunity. I was like, not this year because it was just too early, but I was like, you know, I think I'm going to do it next year and mark my word basically. And I'm kind of, I'm a very committed person. So when I say like, I want to do something, I always try to do it. I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm a really loyal friend and I don't ever like flaking on anybody or I don't like bailing. And I always make sure, you know, I stand by my word if I tell them I'm going to do something. And so for me, it was first and foremost, like, the mental commitment to do it. And it really is the first step. Um, and so from there I was like, okay, I need to figure this out now. And it does take so much research and time to like figure out how to do this thing. Cause it, there's so much crap. Um, but it's possible. And I know for myself, because I needed like a year and a half to plan it, like it was going to be okay for me. And so, yeah, it was basically little baby steps, up until I left. Um, but yeah. <laughs> what were you hoping to get out of it? Oh, um, I don't, I, I don't think so. I always went into it with like no expectations. And for me, it was just like having this goal in my, like, I love making like long-term goals, um, and falling through with it, um, following through with it. And so, for me, I just wanted to like stick by my word and like do it. And I, I just like wanted to like s- see if I could even do such a thing. I, I think it's like such a big goal. And like, it seems like how did people walk all day, you know, like and travel on foot for five months and walk across the country? Like, doesn't that seem crazy? Like not any human would do, you know, <laughs> but you hear all these people doing it and the stories and like, I'm like, okay, I think, I don't know, like, can I do it? Like, I don't know. So I want, I guess I wanted to like, not prove to myself, but I just wanted to like, see if I could even do a thing like that. Um, um, so yeah, I, I think I just wanted to see if I could even do it. <laughs> I'm interested. Yeah. I'm interested also, you know, cause uh, you spent more time preparing that I did, but I, you know, I, I also, obviously I'm a huge fan of carrots who's been on the show, of course. And, um, I read a lot and, you know, tried to talk to other people and tried to, you know, have an open mind, but there was still a really big difference or a big discrepancy for me in kind of what I thought it would be and what it actually was. And I'm curious what that was like for you, sort of the like Mm. fantasy versus reality of long distance hiking. Um, actually, so for me, I, I didn't do too much blog reading. It was mainly, mainly like, um, gear research and stuff like that. I didn't research towns. I didn't 
really read stories as much. Um, I did reach out to care about like food stuff or whatever, but um, I don't know. I was just, I knew I didn't want to have expectations and um, I kind of wanted to be surprised going in. And I just, I remember meeting people and they were like, yeah, we read this entire book and they know about like every town and like what the towns are for. And I was like, Whoa, I had no idea. <laughs> and so for me, I don't know. I just, it was just like too much research for me, I think on top of like where I need to ship my food. Um, I think I just never got into it for some reason. I don't know why. And I do think like that mindset going in was really helpful for me because I, you know, was never disappointed. Everything was a surprise and like it was, I don't know, a whole different experience for me. And I never like romanticized about the trail or think it was going to be this amazing thing. Um, and so I thought it was awesome. And, um, I knew it was going to be hard. I, I kept hearing like the mental part of it was going to be difficult. And that, that I just like never really understood until I got to the halfway point. I feel like every day for like four months was always physically hard. I was like, like, yeah, I'm starting to feel strong. I'm like, I don't feel that way. Like every day is just as hard. Like I don't understand. And, um, I did hear about, you know, people quitting through the midpoint and all that stuff. And, um, I finally understood what that meant when I hit the halfway point and, um, knowing like I was there solo with like no hiking partner and just like nobody to motivate me basically except myself. And that's when it was really difficult and I had like really bad hormones going on. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it was really, really hard and you just have to kind of like work through it and push through it and stuff. And, um, yeah, I think that was probably the most unexpected thing for me, like the mental part of it. Sure. Um, cause mental thing is like weird. Like you don't know about until it hits you. It's kind of like the rock climbing thing. Um, you don't know it's a mental thing until it, like you have this really hard thing that you have to do. It's like, Oh, it is mental. It's not physical anymore. Um, so yeah. So how did you get yourself out of kind of when those moments would happen or when you were feeling either like really low or, I mean, I also, I mean, obviously you did a much longer hike than I did, but I, it was so hard. It was, I mean, mm -hmm. physically it was so hard. And uh, I mean, just the hardest thing that I've ever done and that I just was in so much pain all the time and I was so lonely and it was just like, so I basically cried like every single day, but it, uh, what did, what worked for you or what helped for you on the mental side of doing something so tough? Um, for me, I liked what you said about, um, like crawling in your tent crying, but like wishing you could call your husband, but there was no service. <laughs> um, but it's basically, it's true. Like when you are there sitting in your like pit, there's like nothing else you can do except like, for me, it was to pray and I just prayed and I felt like that helped me calm myself so much. And, um, I would basically just cry out to God and like, be like, I don't get why this is happening or, um, so it was, for me, that was a very helpful thing. And it only happened like maybe like three or four times where I like hit my lowest low. Um, but then like when I got service and stuff, I would 
text my friends at home and like check up with them. And, um, basically I had this Facebook group going on at home. It was like Wangi's resupply team, (laughs) but I ended up just adding my closest friends on it. And like, I would check in with them in real time, like exactly where I was, what mile and what town. Cause it was kind of like off from like Instagram or whatever. And like, I would only like, I would tell them what, like the real, real, how I was doing. And I would write like a huge paragraph and that was just like really supportive. And, um, you know, they would check in like, see how I was doing. And, um, I would ask them to send me like Bible verses and stuff and they would send it, um, just be encouraging in ways that they could. And sometimes it's like, there's, you know, like only people can do so much, you know, you really are out there by yourself. And, um, I think you just have to kind of like figure out what works for you. And it, it did help me to also reach out to other hikers that were on trail when I was having a hard time and they would be like, yeah, same here, try to do this or whatever. And so obviously those people like actually understand, you know, what you're dealing with um, when you're so alone and stuff, but I would just try to, yeah, reach out to friends or hikers too. And, um, in the midst of my lowest points too. Yeah. I have heard in different capacities, you know, people describe things like this, you know, in sort of spiritual terms, almost right. Like it being a pilgrimage or being some kind of like having like a spiritual underlay for it. Was that ever a part of it for you? Because it sounds like, faith was a, 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 like a big component for you in, you know, getting through hard times. Yeah, I think for sure. And I think as a Christian, I definitely view the outdoors as God's creation. And, um, the only reason, you know, I'm out there is because of him. And so, um, it's funny. Cause like, I felt like I was going to have like a lot of time to like pray out there or just like talk to God and all this stuff. But you're so like busy walking and stuff that you don't really have that time. It's weird. Like we have all this time, but at the same time you're really busy. You know what I mean? And so, and people think hikers just like walk all day and then they like sit and then they just eat, (laughs) but you're just really mentally exhausted, you know? And so I think the times that I did um, pray and stuff, it was just like, so good and it really strengthened me in my faith and um knowing like I had nobody else except God and so um yeah I I think that was really good for me and um yeah you mentioned something that was a big surprise for me with my hike on my hiking experience, which was I did think that like I would just have all this time to think. And it's like a weird thing to try to explain mm-hmm. to someone because, of course, you do. Right. Like you are out there. And for me, I was like alone all day, every day, pretty much. And it was just I was in sort of like so much pain and everything was so uncomfortable that like I was just kind of in that mental spiral all the time or like where am I going to get water that like that it was very Mm. infrequently just this like open mental space and maybe if I would have hiked longer that you know that would have changed but that was a big surprise for me like I thought that it was going to be this like very contemplative like I have all these things that I want to think about or like ponder or big questions to answer (laughs) and it was just like no like I just like had no mental energy for that totally yeah I think that's what is the mental energy like and obviously like when you're resting and stuff, you just want to zone out and like not think about anything. And so I totally agree with that. And like, we're just busy. (laughs) Yeah. 
busy or like not thinking. (laughs) I want to talk about food. Take me through like one typical day on trail. What did you eat? Like start to finish. Hmm, Okay. For me, what did I do in the morning? I think in the mornings I, I don't eat before I pack out. Um, I, I always start, I always walk first and then trying to think what I ate around like Oregon and stuff, but obviously your food like changes. Um, but I think I would do like a bar or something in the morning and then I would probably do like a fruit snack. (laughs) I love fruit snacks. I carried, I ate two every single day from the desert (laughs) and I never got sick of it. Um, but they're really good. And then I think, Oh my gosh, it's so funny. It's been so long. I was like, what did I eat? I just remember my lunches, basically a bunch of snacks. And then I did the no stove thing. And so I, um, would always have like lunch soaking by then. Um, and that would be like cold mashed potatoes. I call it cold mashies. (laughs) And so I would usually eat that for lunch. I would hope to be carrying tortillas. And so I would wrap my cold mashies, um, in my tortilla, probably sprinkle some type of (laughs) like Cheez-Its or something on it with some summer sausage or cheese. (laughs) And I loved eating that for lunch. And then I think I would just eat like bars and stuff in the afternoon. And then lunch would be soaking too. And basically my lunch and dinners were the same. So I would alternate between the instant rice stuff or mashed potatoes or um, what else? Sometimes we eat stuffing, but it's like really nasty because it's super soggy. I think you just try to get creative and some things work and some things don't. And I ate a bunch of candy. So I went into this trip thinking I was going to eat really healthy and well. And I made all my boxes basically dairy-free and gluten-free because I have an eczema allergy. And so those foods tend to trigger it. But I found out early on, like my eczema ended up clearing up the entire time. I don't know what happened. Um, but I got sick of like all of my food I made for myself, especially like the meals. Cause I was cold soaking and the texture and the taste just was not right. And it was so nasty. Like I dumped all of it. And so I found out junk food <laughs> worked really well it was so sad when I had to like make the transition because I knew how terrible it was, but I just became one of those people. <laughs> I never thought I would become like that that person who ate like shit on trail, <laughs> but it got us through and it was great. Um, and so, um, yeah, I ate candy and stuff for dinner. I loved candy. <laughs> um, and so I definitely, yeah, ate pretty shitty and... I did the Nutella thing too. (laughs) I didn't do that until like, like late California, Oregon. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Basically anything wrapped into a tortilla was great. (laughs) You're so funny. I, yeah, I did the no stove thing too. And obviously again, I mean, mine was a month, right? So I'm sure that I would have gotten sick of things more on like a longer experience, but yeah, I was doing the like cold soaking beans and vegetables and like I carried olive oil and it's Mm -hmm. funny, like I thought, well, and again, I'm sure this might be more relevant on a longer hike, but some of the advice that I got from people beforehand was about, you know, bringing a big diversity of food because you're going to get sick of stuff. And I found, I tried to do that. And for me, I found that it was a mistake because less than 
uh, different, like I didn't want different things as much as I always wanted my favorite thing. Like I, the things that I didn't get sick of, I would be happy to eat every single day. And when I had like tried to integrate more, you know, like food diversity in it, I'd be like, Oh, I don't want to eat this. I just want to, I want more of the other thing. And so it's fun this year, like planning for Washington. I'm like so excited to plan the snacks and like, what Mm -hmm. are the foods that I'm going to bring? And yeah, eating is the best part of Viking, right? (laughs) Yeah. So you eat pretty well, right? I mean, yes. We're eating like junk food. That's amazing. And gosh, I, mean, I wish ish. I could do it. I, I don't know. But again, <laughs> I mean, I think the length of hiking is really relevant, right? Like I didn't spend that long with like the crazy hiker hunger or the, you know, whatever. For me, honestly, I was so tired that all I wanted, the reason I chose not to bring a stove is because I just needed some part of this trip to be easy. That I'm like, this mm-hmm. is one less thing that I have to carry, that I have to learn how to use, that I have to worry about, that I have to like... Like I really suffer a lot from sort of decision-making fatigue. I want to make no choices. Like this is the thing that I'm eating for dinner every day. Okay. Like I don't have to think about it. I don't have to. So I think a lot of it for me was like rooted in sort of laziness. Right. And also being vegan like that, that I'm like, okay, I need to just like send myself the things and not have to worry about, you know, cause like all the things you read about when hikers get into town and they eat like burgers and pizza and like all the stuff that I know that I'm not going to eat. So it was mm-hmm. just like, let me just let this be easy. But I'll be interested to see, you know, on a longer hike, if I were to get more sick of things. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want a junk food by week two. <laughs> it was like, oh my gosh, chips and stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, I totally ate chips. I, you know, I ate lots of tortilla chips every night. I Okay, so tell me about things on trail if there was anything like did you ever feel scared like what made you feel scared oh um so I went into the hike you know pretty confident in like hiking by myself and stuff I've done that enough in Washington that it didn't really scare me anymore and but something that was weird that changed throughout the hike was I started getting more spooked on camping alone I think that shifted probably after the Sierras or something. I think because you're just so used to maybe being around everybody and or camping near people. But on those nights where I had to camp solo, it was just like a little too quiet. Um, and like you hear twigs breaking or like weird animal noises. And it's just so quiet when there's nobody around. And for some reason, I just started getting scared like I would do it and like camp by myself or whatever but I like didn't prefer it anymore and I thought that was really strange that it shifted and I haven't done a solo hike since I got home (laughs) I haven't or I've done a solo hikes but I haven't done like a solo overnighter um that would kind of scare me right now I thought isn't that weird (laughs) I mean no that was definitely the scariest part for me for sure like I like the mental gymnastics that I had to do to get myself to sleep at night like it was I was terrified like just convinced something was going to try to eat me in the night like just convinced (laughs) Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. tell me the story of getting injured oh um okay (laughs) it's kind of a long story um I I was in the section right before crater lake and um it's like 40 miles of blowdowns and you hear about it and everything and so um i think i already was going through that section already and like i think it was like the third or fourth day and i i was hiking with my friend um during that section and it was that night that 
like I went like maybe 0.5 miles to the next campsite and he ended up staying back. Um, so that's the night I was actually camping by myself and hearing all the noises. And I was like, oh, why couldn't he have just walked a little bit farther? And so I was camping by myself and whatever. And so we woke up the next or I woke up the next morning. And I actually saw him walk by. We wake up at like 430 every morning <laughs> to start hiking. Um, and so he walked by in the dark and I was like, OK, I'll see you in a little bit, whatever. And so I packed up and literally like gosh, like four minutes after I started hiking in the dark. So I was still um, dark. The sun hadn't come out yet, but uh, I was stepping over this huge blow down. It was probably like four foot high or something. And I was just crossing like these two logs. And so I was on top of it. And so I stepped with my left foot to like jump on the next, not jump, but step on the next log. But I mean, I had my headlamp and stuff, but I didn't know it was like super dead. <laughs> and so I stepped on it and it completely broke beneath my foot and I fell um, in between these two blowdowns, literally down to like my thigh. And it hurt so bad because I was like pinned down with my backpack. And I'm pretty sure I screamed or cried or something. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like what just happened? And um, I think I was kind of freaking out and I basically told myself, I like, get yourself together, like get out of this hole or whatever it is and get out. And so I think I took my pack off and I tried climbing out of it. And so I climbed out and then I started walking, you know, and my ankle was hurting pretty bad. And I was just like, I think I started just crying and just like a huge mess and thinking to myself, like, I think it's all over. And I was just like, just crying. Cause I was so sad. I was like, I can't like, this is all over. Like, I can't believe it. Like I only just made it into Oregon and, um, how can I come this far and to have to go home? You know, I, at, that, at that time I didn't really know, but I just like was thinking that already. And then I reached like a Ridge and I got some service and I was just crying and like being like, what should I do? Like, there's nobody around me. And like, should I call for help? Should I, I got like, I didn't know, I had no idea what to do. I didn't even carry like one of those spot things. I didn't know. I don't know why I never carried that, but, um, I, so I end up deciding like, okay, I'm just going to take ibuprofen. <laughs> so I took ibuprofen and then just started hiking again, trying to see if I can catch up with my friend. And, um, it was just hurting really bad. And I was going like, gosh, maybe like one mile per hour, so slow. I was like, I'm never going to catch up with my friend because he has no idea that I've fallen, you know? Um, and then I think it got bright finally. And I passed these other two like fast hikers and I was like, Hey, if you see, you know, the boy in yellow pants, can you tell them that I've injured myself and I'm going really slow? And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. And so, um, I think I was so funny because I was like crying to him and <laughs> it was just, I was such a mess and he's like, he was being so helpful and nice and trying to, I, it was just funny, but I finally like make it up. I think I've gone only maybe like five miles or something. I make up up the Ridge and I see my friend waiting for me and I tell him what happened and we like, I take off my shoes and basically it's already swollen and you can see like a bruise forming at the bottom where my heel and my ankle is. And he's taken like 
wilderness first first responder or whatever and he thankfully had like the wrap thing and so he ended up taping my ankle for me and um I was just like he's like we could we were looking at options like should we go to like a road and try to hitch out like um crater lake was still like 29 miles away and I was just like I don't know like I don't want to go to the road and try to hitch and not have anybody um there's really no like bailout from there and I was like I just want to make it to Crater Lake. Like we've been talking about it for like months. <laughs> I just want to make it there. Damn it. And so, um, he ended up, so there was like this 20 mile dry section too, that I was nervous about because we had to carry extra water. And I was like, I don't know how much weight I can bear on this ankle. And, uh, my hiking partner was just so sweet and like helpful and encouraging. And he stayed basically in front of me the entire time and walked one mile per hour with me. And he was like kicking stones away on the trail for me. And, um, he ended up carrying like two extra liters of mine, um, for the dry section. And we end up camping, I think 20 miles. So I did a 20 mile day, I think. And I, we just like couldn't go anymore. And like once every time we like stopped, to rest my ankle and stuff like the whole like getting up and starting again was so painful like I've never felt that pain before in my life it hurts so bad like once you're walking on it and it becomes numb you know it's really not that bad but the whole like getting up thing sucked so bad and um I ended up taking like 16 ibuprofen that day which I don't know why I'm not dead yet but um yeah we stopped at mile 20 and went to bed and stuff and then in the morning I woke up and my foot was just like even more huge. Um, the, the swelling had gone really intense and the bruising was really bad. And I don't know, I just had another breakdown moment in the morning, just like thinking I'm going to go home. Actually, I actually thought it was just a sprain and, um, I was like, okay, I'll just be back on trail, you know, in like five or six days. And fuck, I have to like start hiking alone by myself again. Cause I really needed like a, motivation partner person at that time and so we finally had me and my friend had finally met up again and started hiking because we actually go the same pace and so I was just like bummed that I'll be like starting alone again and blah 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 and so I uh, we end up hiking out nine miles finally reached creator lake and by the time I got there I like took off all my tape and my foot was just like huge. And I was like, this is not good. I could barely walk. And so we called my friend's mom. They live in Medford and that's who we stayed with the last section before. And she came all the way up to Crater Lake and picked me up and we went to back to Medford and um, one of her daughters is a nurse. And so she was looking at my ankle and we're all just thinking like, we need to go to the doctor and get an x-ray because it just does not look good. And so I ended up going to the ER the next morning and we got an x-ray and we found out it was called an avulsive avulsion fracture. So a tiny bone that's been pulled off by your tendon. Um, and so basically it was broken and the nurse was so nice and was like, trying to help me like maybe get a brace you know to walk on it but I was like dude I don't know about this like I it hurts so bad I don't I I, 
I've been listening to my body ever since day one. You know, I've never had any stress fracture, no overuse injuries. And I just did not feel comfortable like hiking on a semi healed foot. And um, basically that meant I had to go home. I mean, they couldn't find a brace anyways, but I wouldn't have chosen to use that brace Um, because there was only six weeks left of the trail. And so that was basically my healing time. And um, yeah, I was like, guess it's over like it's so crazy to think like your time out there can be over in just literally a matter of seconds like I had no idea this was going to happen you know um and I just remember looking at that sunrise after I've broken my ankle and was like just crying because I was like oh Oregon is so beautiful and like I'm not gonna see any of it like or my own state I was just so bummed because like the best was yet to come and you know, I was sent home basically not by choice and it just sucked because I like had made it so far yet not really. And, um, it was so sad, but you know, I did view it as like, God knew this was going to happen to me before I even started the trail. And he was teaching me something in this experience. Um, and I just didn't even know it yet. And it was really hard. It didn't actually hit me until I went home and started calling friends and family and telling them like to say the words, like I have to come home. Like that's when it started hitting me and I was just like bawling and so sad and it sucked. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's so heartbreaking. I, and what would you say that you've learned sort of in the aftermath of this happening? I mean, to hike over 1800 miles, right. And then, like you said, to have Mm -hmm. this happen in a matter of seconds and everything had been focused on hiking to Canada and doing this thing. And then all of a sudden this thing is over and it's, you know, not what you would have necessarily wanted or chosen. And so Mm -hmm. how did, how did that look for you in the aftermath? What did you learn or what came up for you? Mm -hmm. So I think two main things was my biggest takeaway. And one is for sure is like really, um, cherishing the time that you have on trail and I know people tell you that like you know take in every moment and blah 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 but like when you're so focused on miles because it was definitely go time like I had to be making like consistent 27s every day to make it to Canada in time and so I was just counting miles almost every day and just like not really enjoying you know each moment and like being chill about it I was like okay let's do 27 27 and so for me like I think that was one of my biggest takeaways, like really like enjoy the time that you have out there because I think in the beginning it goes by so slow, like, Oh my gosh, we're only at mile 200, whatever. And then the next thing you know, you're halfway and you're like two thirds of the way done. And this thing happens and you're like, shit, (laughs) like, dang it. You know, I should have done this or whatever, but I mean, no regrets, but if I were, you know, to do it again, I would definitely like take in every moment and really enjoy it and like, like not be grumpy, you know, and like be nicer to people, I think. And, um, I think that I definitely would do that. And, um, I think too, for me, it was nice to have like me not reach a goal. Like if this wasn't a failure, you know, even though like we think it is, but Like, I think it was good for me to just experience, like, having this really long-term goal that I was so determined to make um, not happen and being okay with that and learning from that experience. It does, it's, like, one of the shittiest feelings to, like, 
you know, plan your plan five months of doing this thing, setting aside and like not reaching it. It's probably the hardest things. And especially when like, you know, I listened to my body, like quote unquote, did everything perfectly. Not really, but like I did my best to my ability to keep me from going home. Um, and so, and like freak accidents are real and I definitely know that now and I'm way more cautious about everything now and like accidents do happen. And, um, I would, I was seriously the last person to think that this would happen too. Um, and so shit is real and yeah, it's, it, it was really hard to take all in and, but now it's, a diff- like a different story <laughs> yeah. instead of just, you know, reaching it to the end. <laughs> so you're getting back on trail this year, right? To do Oregon and Washington? Yeah. And so I, um, I had to make, so I was like searching for jobs like early this spring and was like, okay, do I want to commit <laughs> to like a organization that I really love, but I would be, you know, feel really bad about leaving for two months or whatever. And, um, so I was really torn on whether to like commit to a job thing or finish hiking. And I basically just needed to make a decision. Um, and I was like, I, I just need to f- finish this year. Like if I don't do it this year, every year for the rest of my life, I'm going to want to finish. And I might be like too deep into like a job or commitments or whatever. And so um, I felt like the timeline for my year just kind of worked out like my I end my class ends mid-June and then I have my friend's wedding in early July and and then I have like two weeks to pack boxes and stuff and get ready and then I can just go and so and now I'm just kind of like working part-time for my friends and trying to get by as much as I can um and so yeah I, I was just like okay I'm gonna finish hiking like and hope that like my ankle still does not hurt by the time that starts. So it'll be 11 months by the, when I plan on starting again. And so like, I just want to finish so bad. There's been this like hole in my soul where it's just like longing to be done or finish and like see the best part of the PCT basically. And I didn't get to see any of it. And I just like, I don't know. It's like this thing that like for your own like well being, like I just have to finish for myself, you know? Yeah. And so it was a really big thing and I can't wait. And I'm really hoping like I've made it this far and I've had a couple of setbacks with injuries and like overtraining and like my ankle hurting and then my knee hurting. But so far in the last two weeks, like I've had no issues with my ankle, maybe because I stopped running, but um, I haven't had any pain, thank goodness, you know, and um, maybe it's getting stronger finally. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. I'm curious in your, you know, 1800 miles of experience last year, based on what you learned, what mm-hmm. are you doing differently to prepare this time around, whether that's physically, mentally, mm. gear, food, like what's different this time? Well, definitely, you know what we're doing now. <laughs> um, I know exactly what food to make, to bring. <laughs> I'm planning on making all my boxes at home from Trader Joe's because all of Oregon, Washington, like you can't we supply as much in the towns cause they're all remote. And so, um, I'm going to make all my boxes at home, I think. And honestly, like I, I kind of told myself, like, I kind of want to do these last two sections or States, like 
by myself. But then I was like, oh, I'm kind of scared because Washington's really remote. And if something happens again, like I need somebody around <laughs> or else I'm like screwed. And so I may bring like one of those spots thing gps yeah, things, i have one you know yeah. you do okay mm-hmm. yeah i mean that um, was my mom's like i mean my mom like is beside herself she like can't even with these things that i'm doing and so that was like the one thing that i i mean my husband too yeah. but that she was like that the nice thing about it is that in addition to being you know like a thing where you can obviously call search and rescue that there's that function where you yeah. can pre-program in like certain email addresses or phone numbers i think up to like 10 and like a pre-written message that you can basically what i did it was kind of like a here's where I'm sleeping tonight. Like I'm okay. Type of message that I would send yeah. every time I got to my campsite. So they knew like, okay, she's done for the day. Like here's where she is. Like it just, mm-hmm. it was like a little bit of a peace of mind thing, not just for me, but for them as well. Yeah. I think I might do that. I like that. And just checking in and having the GPS thing. And, um, I'll, do you have the spotters like Delorm thing? I have the spot. Yeah. Spot. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think I may do that this year just because of what happened last year. And I, I, I want to be just extra cautious and, um, and do that. But I think I definitely, and like taking my time this year, which is so nice. Cause I'm not going to be in this rush, you know, um, I'm going to take it slow and, you know, start with low mileage and obviously I'm not in hiking shape right now. And so, um, yeah, just basically starting slow again because we have time and take my time through Oregon and, um, just really enjoying you know, my time out there. And I definitely want to do that and not feel rushed and like psycho and (laughs) trying to make it home. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When are you starting? I think mid to late July. I think it really depends on Greater Lake and how snowy it is. I just saw a photo and stuff. Everything looks really high still. We got so much snow this year. Really? Oh, I don't, so I don't know. I I know that's a concern for me in Washington too. I'm starting in in early August and I'm like, I think it's going to be fine by then. I don't know. You know Washington better than I do. I don't, I mean, I heard it's still really snowy. I mean, I've seen it. It's really snowy just in the Cascades, you know. Um, like, so we're going to do Mount Baker in two weeks. And they said that this year there's been so much snow that it's like covered the road for like three miles. So now we're going to have to hike up in snow for three extra miles. So I, like, are you set on August? Are you flexible on your date or you have to do early August? Um, I mean, I could be lightly flexible, but I mean, that's when my, cause it's what, like oh, 500 miles. That's when my permits for and everything. So, oh, you already got your permit. I need to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I'll just keep checking, but I assume it's going to be mostly fine. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I hope so. Cause I don't want to have to rush again. <laughs> yeah, totally. But so rush. one of the last things that I wanted to ask you about, I mean, obviously you're such an incredible photographer and so you brought a camera besides just like an iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. On the trail. Okay. Yeah. What'd you, I, what'd you bring? So last, it's funny. So it was a very last minute decision and I was actually going to just bring my iPhone and all my friends were just like, what's wrong with you? Like, doesn't photography mean anything to you? I was like, yeah, but I'm like carrying all this other shit. Like, why do I have to carry a camera? <laughs> and so after, you know, hearing this from multiple people, I ended up buying like a mirrorless camera, which I have no idea like what they like does or whatever and so I just took a recommendation from my friend and I ordered it on Amazon like I didn't want to spend like a thousand dollars on a really nice one so I bought like this last year a model 
one and with a lens that I liked and then got it shipped to me maybe like three days before I left Seattle and took it on trail with me. I've never even like taken a photo or like saw what it looked like on my computer, but I ended up taking this little camera and like nobody knows about. And it was the best thing I've ever done. I was so happy to have the camera, even though like, you know, you're so tired at the end of the day. And the thing, last thing you want to do is like take photos or like even just walking. It's so annoying to like pull it out and take photos. And like, I just like, everybody says like, take as many photos as you can. If it's so hard, like it's so hard when you're just so t- exhausted all the time. And, um, yeah, I'm so glad I did it. And I was able to take a few portraits, you know, when the light was good and stuff. And I loved having it. And now it's like my go-to camera. I haven't even taken my big camera out on anything. <laughs> so what camera, so I, what is the camera that you brought? Oh, it's a Canon EOS M. Um, I've never heard about it like ever, like there's like no reviews, but one of my friends has it and he really recommended it. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. And that's, I use like a 22 millimeter, um, lens and I just wanted something I can take nice portraits with for Mm -hmm. sure. And so, yeah, I, I love it. It's so good. (laughs) Do you have any tips, um, just for, I guess, like regular folks, maybe even just using iPhones on like how to take better photos like trail type photos or outdoors that kind of thing like what would your tips be for someone who wants to capture it better um I mean I feel like the trail is so pretty but I mainly always pulled it out during like sunrise or sunset I love that you know that golden hour when the sun's just coming up and especially like in the desert it's so pretty down there and so I always just look for really good light Obviously, like during the day, it's just I hate taking photos during the day because it's like super sunny. There's no clouds and it's just so harsh. So definitely hard to take photos. But I think in the end, it's like take as many photos as you can, no matter what the lighting was. And I was just really picky and only taking it out when the light was pretty. So I totally could have taken more photos. But um, light is just like a big thing for me because I used to do weddings. And so I'm always very aware of lighting and especially when it's really nice I go kind of crazy and like take a bunch of photos and so I I think detail shots like are really good flowers like signs I wish I've taken more signs people like that's for sure I wish I'd take so many more portraits of everybody that I've met like especially when you just meet them because you might not ever see them again or you'll see them 500 miles later you know and so I wish I would have taken more photos of everybody that I met like they'll cherish those photos forever because a lot of them don't have photos of themselves I don't yeah. have any photos of myself <laughs> definitely uh, I know that's I wish I would have taken more pictures last year too so I will do yeah, that more, this self, year. more selfies <laughs> yeah selfies forever um so before we start to wrap up is there anything either about the PCT or long distance hiking or mountaineering or just anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to talk about um gosh I Um, I, I feel like, I feel like right now the media and the outdoors thing, there's this big thing on like women outdoors minority. Do you see that? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really cool and it's really awesome. And, um, that people are, you know, trying to focus on it more. And, um, I think it's, 
I think it's great. And I really, I think the woman outdoors community right now is like so encouraging. And I feel really encouraged by all the women hikers that I know in my life that have been like so supportive towards me and, or just like I seeing it in our, in the Seattle community, like, and I want people to just like continue thriving in that. And I just feel like women outdoors people like feel like they um, have such a different need out there, like versus men and stuff. We have this, um, I feel like, um, like an emotional need out there than just like walking every day, you know, and I really needed like a woman to talk to a lot of times, uh, you know, what I was dealing with and the hard stuff. And so it was nice having like the female hiker friends that I did have and reaching out to them. And I just, I don't know, I think it's awesome. And um, I just want to continue like emphasizing how important that is. And especially in my class, our students are like 50 per, we have a 50 50 ratio with men and women and like it's been like the men are totally encouraging too but there's something about having the women instructors out there like talking to me and walking um with me through that has been so encouraging and like those moments are the moments that I will never forget because they were the ones there you know in the midst of my fear and struggling on the wall and um they've just I don't know I just feel so encouraged by the community and all the ladies out there. And, um, I think it's awesome. And we really need that, especially in this like male dominated sport or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I think, well, that also makes me curious on your experience. I see, I mean, obviously that is changing. I agree. There are like tons of women in the outdoors that are doing awesome things, but it really is, or has, I guess, traditionally been like such a, like male space, male dominated space, but also such a white space. So I'm curious on sort of your experience with that, like the, just like the lack of diversity that tends to be in the outdoors community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't like, I feel like when I do day hikes and stuff, I see a lot of like Asians and stuff. I think it's the whole long distance thing. That's not as common just because you know, I feel like Asians are like too busy working and stuff (laughs) to take off work for that long. Um, but honestly, I didn't feel like super segregated on the PCT or anything. I was definitely like the only Asian out there, but I mean, there's lots of, um, foreign Asian people, uh, like international. And I feel like maybe those people just appreciate the outdoors more and they're like I met this amazing group from Taiwan that were hiking last year and they were so cool because I felt like I finally related with them and stuff and so but there's not a lot of like Asian Americans maybe there's like one or two other on trail this year that I've been following but there's just not very many um maybe in my real life I don't actually have a lot of Asian friends I have a handful now but um but like my outdoor, like my like serious outdoor people, they're all white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I tell, I tell, I mean, I tell them like, you guys are all white, but like, honestly, I don't really care because I'll take what I can get. <laughs> you know, like if you guys want to go hike, whatever, do this extreme thing with me, then awesome. 
And so, um, but it's definitely, I feel like open it up to more and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know, like it's a cultural thing or whatever. I think it was just how I was raised and, um, I just never grew up doing outdoor things, but I see like Asian families hiking all the time and doing stuff, but it's just something that our family never did. You know, we didn't have that privilege Yeah, and I didn't invest into it until I was like an adult. It'll be interesting to see, you know, especially with social media and other things and like campaigns. And obviously this is back to more the gender thing, but that like what REI is doing, you know, about women in the outdoors, like it'll just be interesting to see if and how, you know, the kind of profile of folks out there changes. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it does. Yeah. Yeah, Continues to be like a more inclusive space. Mm -hmm. So the way that we love to end these episodes are with what we call community questions. So it's nine sort of rapid fiery questions that listeners want me to ask all of our eight guests this season. If you are down to answer some random questions. Mm -hmm. Sure. All right. The first one, what is your guilty pleasure lately? Guilty pleasure? Hmm, probably just Netflix right now. <laughs> All right. What are you watching that I should be watching? Um, well, <laughs> I was watching that um, Suicide TV show. Do you know what I'm talking about? What, The 13 Reasons Why? Yes. Or something? Yes. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I part of it, yeah. Um, but I, like, I reactivated my Netflix account, like, only – recently and so I'm just trying to like catch up on some things (laughs) and I guess like lounging around and like not going outdoors (laughs) so I've been doing that because I'm like so cold on the weekends and you know working really hard and we're all wet in the snow and I just love showering and then just crawling in my bed and watching Netflix. (laughs) Sounds amazing I agree with you. (laughs) So it's it's like me being lazy it feels really good because like training and stuff is so difficult I just want to like not train. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you want like the complete opposite. I hear you totally. Yes. <laughs> What's one change that you've made in your life, maybe a habit or a lifestyle change or a relationship or a career change, really just anything that felt really tough at the time, but really worth it in the end? Hmm. Gosh, like since when you think? Anything, anything that comes to mind. Okay. Um. Gosh. <laughs> I guess like, prioritizing my life and like figuring out what's the like most important to me and obviously like downsizing all my stuff when I left you know and coming home and getting stuff out of storage and being like why did I keep all this crap and I think I'm just way more aware of where I'm putting my time energy and money now and it's obviously for ex- experiences more than like stuff and collecting stuff mm-hmm. um but just I've always been like a friend person like and just like keep but like spending more quality time with you know friends and people who are really important to me in my life and um yeah I think just being aware of um our priorities yeah. and where time goes totally what helps you to stick with a long-term project or goal? Oh, probably something helps me stick with it. Just taking baby steps always. Like I try not to, I feel like go for something really extreme, but if I know if it's a realistic goal and I take small baby steps, I can do it because 
like when I used to think running was just for like really skinny people. <laughs> um, and then I decided I should try to run a half marathon and, you know, and that was way out of my league and it just proved to me like, Oh, you don't have to be light as a feather to run, you know? And as long as you make it to the end, I feel like, and snowing, if you take baby steps, like you can do anything and I think it's possible. What's something that you're not doing right now because you're afraid? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I'm not rock climbing as much or <laughs> I'm not like, so all of the students in our class are like, where are we going to rock climb next weekend? You know, they are always climbing every weekend and I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it unless it's part of the class. And so it still terrifies me to go out without instructors. That makes sense. I hear you. Um, What's one thing that a lot of people seem to do that you just don't do or don't want to do? (laughs) Rock climbing. Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, Gosh, uh, that seems like people do that I just don't want to do. I think, okay, this is something that I've been thinking about, but like, um, the whole like Instagram thing, there's like, I don't know, like, I like Instagram. I think it's a really great tool, but I feel like, like when it becomes like this thing to get famous, I think it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it loses its like authenticity. And, um, I don't know, it's just something I've been thinking about too. Cause I was like, I really want to make my Instagram like my diary, like for myself, you know, not even for others, but if others like feel inspired by it or whatever, like, um, like cool. I think I just don't ever want to, you know, lose like what my, my purpose, but, um, I guess I just, I don't want to like lose focus on like, why I have it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, so. from an outside perspective, I feel like that's something that you do really well, that it is, I mean, obviously the pictures are beautiful and of course you're talented in that way, but I really just like the things that you share. They feel just kind of like honest and I mean, not necessarily diary entries in like the cheesy way that we think of that, but they just <laughs> do seem like captures of like real moments and just like thoughts. And I, I don't know. So from an outside perspective, I think you're doing that. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> the next question, what advice would you give yourself five years ago? Oh my god! So like 2012, what's something you wish you would have known? Wow. Um, I think that anything is possible, I guess. Or like, don't be afraid. Yeah. Don't be afraid of stuff. And it's still, I think it's something I'm going to be working on my entire life, basically. But it really is mental. Like, oh gosh, the mental. Totally. Totally. (laughs) When you look ahead at the next few months, what do you feel most excited about? Finishing the PCT. Yay. I know, right? Melt, snow, melt. <laughs> yes. The next question is about books, which I don't know, either one book or two or three books of any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Um, definitely Carrot's book. <laughs> um, I So I actually, so I was reading it before I left the PCT and then I ended up audio booking it when I was hiking (laughs) it was so cool because I would listen to like the section that I was on 
as I was going. Um, so it was like in real time and just to hear about her thoughts on it. And um, as I was walking through, it was just really cool to, I guess, experience that as she was reading about it. And or, or, so I thought that was really cool for sure. And something I always want to like go back and read and relive it. And um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else come to mind? Anything else you love? Um, honestly, I haven't had much time to read because I've been reading my mountaineering book. <laughs> <laughs> and so not recently. <laughs> So the last question, if you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? What would you love for people to do? Um, I think I am very, very big on making sure that we take care of our trails because um, I think I know for myself, like, discovering the trails and the outdoors has completely changed my life. And I want other people who have never experienced that to have something of their own. And I think because the more and more people get out there, um, it's obviously the impact on it is going to wear away. And so I feel like just spreading the knowledge of leaving no trace and how to take care of it and volunteering our time to maintain trails and learning about it is so important as for like young people. And, um, so I've done like a couple of those trail maintenance things and most of them are all like retirees and those volunteers. But I really, really want like us young people to like get out there and do that too, because you know, where are the ones that are going to be taking care of the trails, you know, for these next couple years. And so, um, yeah, I think just spreading the knowledge, um, on how to take care of it and treat wilderness with respect. And, um, I just want everybody to experience it. You know, it's so life-changing and so cool and beautiful and, um, yeah, and just like young people getting out there and doing that. Yeah. I think so. Mm -hmm. I agree with you a hundred percent. And I love that. I think that is a beautiful action for people to take. Um, what's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Um, so I have my Instagram account, which is Karen K Wang. Um, I have my website, which is Karen K Some people get my email that way. But I have a blog. I don't. I haven't kept up to date with it. But I, I've heard people have used it for like preparation of through hiking and stuff. And I, I try my hardest and like I want to help people and give them information that could be helpful because this is what I did, you know. Um, and it's so overwhelming, obviously. And so I want to like just be helpful and in giving information out that um, is organized. <laughs> Cause it's so like everything's everywhere. <laughs> sure. And I will put links to all of that stuff in the show notes. Karen, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the real talk radio family. I couldn't do this without you. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Holly. Hi, Holly. 
Hi. So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid fire questions where I get to be nosy and ask you things. Are you ready? That sounds great. I'm ready. All right. Tell me, what is your current guilty pleasure? Ooh, I think my current guilty pleasure is exploring new coffees. Um, I didn't drink coffee for many years because I had caffeine headaches. And for some reason in the last year or so, I've been able to tolerate about a cup to two cups per day. So I've really enjoyed sort of diving into the world of small roasteries and developing my taste and, and enjoying a wide range of coffee flavors. Yeah, I have never liked coffee and I love the smell of it, but I don't like the taste of it, which I guess is fine because I would probably be totally addicted. But that's the thing that sounds awesome about it is sort of like the ritual and all the different. I mean, I kind of get that with tea, like exploring different teas and stuff. But the way you just described that sounds lovely. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. What is your favorite thing to eat for breakfast? Oh, gosh. Um, So I think Probably yogurt and some really good homemade granola. Uh, I love playing around with the ingredients, either if I make it myself or if I can find a great uh, local blend with lots of seeds and nuts and kind of different different things. Um, that's probably my go-to with some fresh fruit on top. Granola was always one of those things for me that, this is going to sound stupid, I, I cook a lot, but that I just never thought that people made themselves, right? And then I was like a mm-hmm. year ago that I started making my own granola and I couldn't believe, it's so easy. It's so much fun. You can do like so many different, obviously, you know that, so many different things. It's become kind of a new pet obsession for me making granola. Yeah, I totally came late to that discovery as well. It's like, oh, I don't have to buy this at the store. I can make it myself. This is great. Right. And it can be like not as sweet and it can have all these other things in it and like tons of coconut or whatever you want to put in it. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So if you had an extra $100 and you had to spend it on something fun that's just for you, how would you spend it? Uh, I think... I would take a class in something that I was interested in trying out, like um, a pottery class or like an outdoor skill class or something kind of indulgent that I might not otherwise um, do just in sort of my regular routine. I think that would be a great way to spend an extra $100 on myself. Ooh, I, I, love, to do that. I love that. What kind of outdoor skills do you want to learn? Oh, gosh, so many. Um, I mean, I, I definitely live outdoors and I feel like I have a decent baseline, but I, I feel like there's always so much opportunity to learn more. Like I want to take a wilderness first aid class this year. And, um, I love to do more with like kayaking. Like I've, I've done some kayaking, but I don't really know what I'm doing other than just getting in a boat with a paddle. So I'm sure there's some skills I could develop there. Um, but just a lot of things to kind of gain self-confidence and, you know, trust in my own capabilities when I'm out exploring and enjoying the outdoors. Yeah, I I can totally relate to that. That's very much where my head's at right now. I'm thinking of doing the sort of wilderness first aid thing at the end of this year, like this fall. And there's so many fun classes. I want to take some of the like snow stuff, right? Like self-arresting with an ice axe and all that. I I don't know how to do any of that stuff, but uh, it's, it's, it's on my mind. And kind of a more intense navigation class, I think would also be good. I took kind of a map and compass class last year that I have since probably forgotten most of. I would like to do something more immersive. I could totally agree. I think that so much of it, we can sort of skate by with a basic level of just knowledge and, you know, common sense and all, but then there's so many ways to improve your experience. And I'd love to do more of that. Yeah. And I agree with what you said about just kind of wanting to feel more confident, right? The more skills you have, the more fun it is to do these things because it's not so scary. Absolutely. 
So next question, who are some of your favorite people to follow on social media? Who should I be following? Oh, gosh. Um, probably people you're already following, I would guess, some of them, because um, I've heard you mention them before. But uh, I loved the Tim Ferriss show. I think he has got a great um, exploration of the possible and the ways that humans can just do amazing things. So I love to follow him and what he's up to. Um, who else do I like to follow? Uh, I... I've been really intrigued by REI lately and some of their uh, new campaigns that they're doing. So they're always kind of a, a gold standard for me. Um, there's a woman named Katie Crafts who uh, you, I can't remember if she was someone that you'd spoken to or if I came across her mm -hmm. on another podcast, yeah. but she basically decided at, at uh, a point in her life that she was ready to go off and be this amazing outdoor adventurer and develop the skills to do that. And now she leads like outdoor tours in the Arctic and stuff. So, Wait, that I think she yeah. was the one who was on the saying yes episode of the Dirtbag Diaries. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, which is like That's my, first of all, I love that podcast. That's yeah. okay. You and I clearly have a lot in common. This is funny. Um, I also love Tim Ferriss. I love the Dirtbag Diaries and her story specifically, I felt like it resonated with me so much because she was, I think what, like in her early thirties, right? Which I am and yep. had never done yep. any of this kind of stuff, which was basically me last year. And then she was like, wait, actually, I want an entirely different life. And then like, the, you can just learn new skills and make a change, which sounds so silly. Of course, that's possible. But I think it's so easy to get stuck in. Well, this oh, is what I've always been doing. So this is what I have to keep doing. And like, who am I to think that I can like go to the Arctic and like learn how to do <laughs> you know, whatever. Exactly. Oh, and I think so many of us have invested so much of our time and our identity in developing, you know, what we think we want to be when we're 20. And then we might find that we're in our early 30s and suddenly we want to be something else so it's just so empowering to see her story and, and I love watching her like posting on Instagram because she's always got these crazy awesome pictures of like animals and icebergs and you know remote reaches and I'm sort of obsessed with all things arctic as well so just layer that on top so okay I, like I am like not following her yet but I will be in approximately three minutes so thank you for that <laughs> this is very helpful <laughs> absolutely um so the last question what's one of your favorite books or a book that's had a big impact on you that you would like to recommend to everyone listening. Absolutely. So I think one of my all-time favorites um, that I came to as a child was uh, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Mm. Um, you know, I kind of came into that book uh, in late elementary school and saw this incredible story of kind of a, a young boy overcoming the circumstances he'd been placed in and a young girl sort of rising above the, the challenges that were thrown at her feet. And, you know, it's been an interesting um, journey for me because I think as I've grown older, uh, I've come to have a slightly different perspective on it, but that's a book that I, I love and sort of opened the door to me uh, for reading in fantasy and science fiction, which is one of my favorite genres. So that's one that I always like to put a, a shout out to. And I think just to follow that up with a more recent um, recommendation, there's an author out there, uh, V.E. Schwab, who has written this trilogy, uh, Darker Shade of Magic, um, which is also in kind of the fantasy magical realism world. And I just think her writing is fantastic and it's incredibly entertaining. So I would throw either of those recommendations out for readers looking for a good book. A Darker Shade of Magic. Is it like a scary or creepy book? I don't think so. I mean, it's it's scary and creepy in the way that like Harry Potter is scary and okay. creepy. Like there's there's magicians and some of them are not great people, but it's not like you okay. know it's certainly not a horror or a thriller or anything. I think okay. it has a good. Yeah. 
I have Goodness. I have to ask, you've probably heard this in other episodes maybe, but um, like I'm very sensitive to, I can't read anything that's basically going to like make me be afraid to be home alone or any, like it really sticks with me a lot. And so I have friends that are into more of that kind of stuff and are like, this is not Absolutely. Nicole approved. You cannot read this. <laughs> you know, so. No, I think this one would be fine. I mean, it's definitely very much in, a, in an alternate reality magical world. So I think that gives it that level of... Um, of distance for me. Whereas, yeah, like I love Stephen King because he's a brilliant writer, but I can only read certain of his books and it has to be like in the sun, in the middle of the day, like outside on a deck where I'm, I'm nice and, and safe. Yeah. So yeah, I understand. I agree. That's funny. <laughs> um, okay. So you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a small and powerful pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season. And I would love for you to share First, why you decided to support the show and what you love about being in our little community. Absolutely. So I um, I came to your podcast originally through uh, another person I follow, which is Tammy Strobel, and um, discovered your entire back list of all these amazing interviews with incredible people who I think were really taking ownership of their lives and being intentional about what they wanted their lives to look like. And it came at a point where I was making a very intentional shift in my own life. And I just found so much inspiration and motivation and um, such a great environment of cultivation amongst your uh, interviews. And I really also enjoyed sort of the longer form. I felt like you weren't really trying to cram things into maybe a 20 or 30 minute episode, but really having a, a long conversation and discussion where you could kind of dig into these issues. So that really kind of drew me to your your show and your community. And then, you know, as I've made my transition myself and I'm starting to work for myself and work in a more creative space, it's it's something I want to support in others and something that I think it's important that as artists and creative folks of whatever variety, we support each other. So I think the Patreon platform is a great way of doing that. And I have a couple of uh, different individuals and projects and shows that I support that way. And I'm just so happy to be able to do that in such an effective and, and simple way. Um, so I think I, I love a lot of things about your community and there's so much more that I haven't even you know explored yet. Um, I've been excited about trying out the virtual book club or some of the other things, but we'll get there <laughs> with time. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I, I appreciate everything that you said. It's funny, I didn't know that you came um, by way of Tammy, but isn't she the best? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The best. No surprise that you and I have a lot in common then, right, if you came by way of Tammy. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate that, obviously, so much, and the support, and that you were brave and joined me for this. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 30 hours of bonus content with new stuff added every month, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and I can't wait to get to know you better after you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.